From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australians are grappling with the fallout of a devastating pandemic and its associated economic turmoil. We look to our politicians to solve these problems, but our trust in them and our political institutions is at an all-time low. Scandal after scandal has battered the authority of the government when its purpose has never been more clear. Today, former leader of the Federal Liberal Party, John Hewson, on how rorts, mates and marketing took over politics and how we can take it back. John, could you start by telling me about some of the most notable examples of of abuses of power in politics that you have seen in recent times? Well, there have been many, and I would say that the practice has been increasing over recent decades. Um, And they extend from everything from members of parliament to ministers, uh, staff and so on, cheating on their expenses or abusing their entitlements. Parliamentary Speaker Bronwyn Bishop is under fire this morning over her recent spending. Labor is demanding answers after she billed taxpayers $5,000 for a helicopter flight. Through to some of the big ones that uh, occurred, for example, under the Howard government in particular never held accountable for the Wheat Board scandal. The Wheat Board had paid hundreds of millions of dollars in kickbacks to Saddam Hussein's regime in Iraq. Never held accountable for spying on Timor-Leste. ASIS installed listening devices inside East Timor's uh, ministerial rooms and cabinet offices under the cover of a foreign aid program. In the middle, I guess, you've got sports shorts and other, other government programs that are being treated a bit like a gravy train for perceived political benefit rather than you know, in, in the intention of the, the program, whether it's uh, supporting sporting facilities or regional development or, or whatever the program has been. Details have emerged about the so-called sports rort scandal with revelations 136 emails were shared between Bridget McKenzie and the Prime Minister's office. So these things occur, they reoccur. Uh, at the time, there's a bit of a focus on them. It gets bad press for a few days and then it sort of uh, is forgotten and people move on. You know, it's a culture that's developed which is really about entitlement and, uh, you know, don't you know who we are? We're important people. We are here to get power. We've got power. We're exercising that power. We shouldn't be that accountable for, for that. And I think that's what's all wrong with the, the system. Mm. And so this lack of transparency and accountability, do you think that it's just a feature of the system? Well, you know, partly it's the system and partly it's the people in the system I mean, I guess in the end you can have as many codes of conduct as you like for whoever, whether it's ministers or backbenchers or staff or parliamentarians or whatever. But, um, you know, unless those codes are actually uh, enforced in the spirit as well as the letter of the code, uh, it, it doesn't tend to make too much difference. But really it's a bigger question, I think, of the culture You know, rules are important, Uh, they have to be enforced, but you need to build around them a culture that says these are things that matter. And uh, there's a lot of focus these days on whether some of our parliamentarians and political processes have simply lost their moral compass when it comes to some of the bigger issues. Mm. And when those bigger issues do come to light, it doesn't seem like there are many consequences for the politicians involved. Do you think that that's more of a recent development? 
Yeah, there's no accountability. I mean, in, in, under the current government, of course, the focus is really on the big headline announcement. Today I announce that we are committing $130 billion... We committed $2 billion to the work of the National Bushfire Recovery Agency to be delivered on Today, the ground. We're announcing $250 million of additional support into the sector, which is all about getting the show back on the road. And we have headline announcement after headline announcement almost every day through COVID, but more, you know, more generally, um, that there's no follow-up as to whether that money that's committed, whether firstly whether it's new money or just a reshuffling of existing money allocations and whether it's uh, actually directed to the target and whether it actually is delivered in the end. So you see examples of, of bushfire relief most recently not going to, not being, being declared as a big number, but then uh, not actually being allocated to those who really need it. People who suffered from the bushfire expecting that they'd be well in the process of building a new house or, <laughs> or whatever their expectations were not being validated because there's no follow-through. And... Um, you know, it seems that, uh, you know, when the, the government's asked a question about that now, the press conference is a very different exercise than it was in my day. Dr Houston, tell me, did Mr Peacock uh, show poor judgement? Was he wrong when, in response to a question from Peter Luck, he predicted that under a Peacock government there'll be massive falls in interest rates? We've talked, uh, Richard, consistently about significant and sustainable falls in interest rates. I can remember inconsequential areas of things that I announced. I might get 18 or 20 questions in a row about it anyway. He said That's massive. He Was he right or wrong? Look, we're not playing with the words. No, no, I'm just asking you a straight question. He said massive. Was he right or wrong? I can't scale what you think or what anyone else thinks is massive. Where there's a lot of issues, where there's a lot to find, you don't see it pursued. And um, today they get one question, they move from one to the next. Quite often you hear the Prime Minister or Minister say, look, I don't accept the premise of that question, <laughs> as if I don't need to answer that one. What will it take for the Morrison government to stop denying the 685 deaths on its watch, to take responsibility and to ensure that this never happens again? Senator Colbeck. Thank you, Mr President. And can I completely Senator reject Keneally. the premise of the question because at no point in time have we had to not... To have, and so, John, what do you think the effect of all of this is in terms of public trust in politicians and, by extension, the institutions of democracy? Well, it's, it's consistently undermined the public trust. I mean, public trust hasn't been great. It's got worse and worse in terms of the trust in politicians, the belief in politicians, the belief in the political process. COVID has given you a bit of a reprieve there in the sense that, you know, the government's been seen to have reacted more decisively, to have listened to the science or the medical advice, to, you know, to be more responsible and more effective in its response. But there's still the long-term background that it's just progressively been eroded by the sort of behaviour we're talking about. And... Um, you know, when you see the big issues being kicked down the road, where, you know, climate change is a classic example where the government is out there today obfuscating on that issue, denying its urgency, denying the significance of the challenge, pretending that what they've committed to is an adequate response for this country, um, not really facilitating the transition to re renewable energy or to say, electrification of the vehicle and transport fleets or regenerative agriculture. There are nods and winks in the direction of some of these things, but almost a nil response compared to the magnitude of the challenge and to the urgency of that challenge. So they've compounded the lack of trust problem. We'll be back in a moment. 
Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, yeah, if, that's, no. if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. John, we're talking about a, a lack of trust and accountability in our politics. And one way to counter that would be through a Federal Integrity Commission. What do you make of the moves that we've seen on that so far? Well, the government uh, has begrudgingly uh, a couple of years ago committed, and Morrison committed to having an Integrity Commission. We think it is always important to raise the bar, maintain the bar, to ensure the public can have confidence in the integrity of Commonwealth public administration. It's taken a couple of years to get an exposure draft. Uh, This draft does not propose public hearings for the public sector division. Uh, The rationale for that on the government's part is that there is a higher risk and a much greater um, threat from corruption inside law enforcement. Uh, And uh, the legal opinions that I've seen on that suggest that it's you know, it's really a, a protection racket for the for the ministers and parliamentarians and their staff, if you like. They're not really... It doesn't go to the issues of integrity and anti-corruption that it should do. And, you know, a body like that has got to be fiercely independent, well-funded, fiercely independent, able to take uh, referrals, anonymous referrals even, of instances where people think there are you know, uh, there's a lack of integrity or there's a a possibility of corruption. Uh, It shouldn't have to rely on referrals from the government Um, and, um, you know, it should be uh, able to be a genuinely independent break on some of this material and some of these arguments. But the exposure draft so far sort of says meets, meets the commitment, yes, I said I'd do it, but it doesn't address the issue. And until it does, I think you'll have a substantial community reaction because... I mean, they're a long way short of an adequate response in that respect. And do you have other suggestions about what could be done? Because in your piece you say that the problem requires a complete reset and reform of politics and policy making. So what would that look like? Well, I mean, you'd have to go at the, all, all the elements, really, of, of what's wrong with the system. I mean, one of the basic failings of the system is campaign funding. And we've seen this uh, in so many ways um, where where large donors uh, expect to be able to buy influence from a government by funding their campaign. And I've sort of reluctantly come to the view that unless you can make campaign funding sort of... Unless you can restrict it to individuals up to a certain level, level, say, let's say $1,000 or something, and, and get rid of union funding and business funding and all these research groups and so on, they've, fronts they've set up to channel money. Uh, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the place to start. Yet there's a recent piece of legislation uh, that both sides of parliament supported, 
that uh, really allow them uh, to now accept in secret donations from, say, property developers that many of the states have ruled out. Um, you know, this is this is a, a very sad commentary of, you know, both sides will say, yes, this is, some, this is an area for reform, but they don't actually ever do it. Mm. But you're alluding, I think, to the crux of the problem here, because for any major reforms to increase accountability to happen, politicians themselves would have to be on board. So is asking politicians to reform themselves too big of an ask, given that the the problem that we're trying to solve here is essentially one of self-interest over the greater good? Yeah, it, it's it's difficult because it requires leadership and it requires bipartisanship. Um, and um, we aren't getting much of either right now. I thought we might have had a more of a bipartisan response even in, in terms of COVID and, you know, the whole idea of a national cabinet was important, but uh, you know, leaving the opposition out of that, I think, was a failing, an opportunity really to take a more broad-based bipartisan response. And um, I think looking at, um, you know, the way some of that's unfolded with the states having to do their job, I mean, the extent to which some of the government ministers kicked uh, Andrews to death in Victoria, um, you know, was just totally um, counterproductive to what needed to be done. So in those circumstances, I think we've got a long way to go on your points, right? But to get it outside of government into an independent commission, maybe an integrity commission would drive a lot of that. Um, but, you know, if you even had an electoral reform commission, um, with the powers of a royal commission, I suppose it, um, it's not going to change that, go back to the original point I made about culture. You got the wrong people with the wrong culture. And I think if a government decided, if the Prime Minister said, look, I'm going to run a pretty morally tight government and I'm going to start setting standards and enforcing them, and people who don't adhere to them will be called out and in some cases, appropriate cases, uh, punished accordingly, then I think you're going to have a different world. But I don't see them, they think they can exploit, each side sort of believes they can exploit the system better than the other side, so a lot of the big things about political reform just aren't going to get done. John, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the UK Labor Party has called on Prime Minister Boris Johnson to reject former Australian Finance Minister Matthias Cormann's bid for General Secretary of the OECD over his record on climate change. The Australian Labor Party is supporting Cormann's bid and far-right activists supporting US President Donald Trump's false claims of election fraud clashed with counter-protesters in Washington, D.C. over the weekend. The pro-Trump protest was held in the lead-up to the Electoral College vote today that will formally ratify Joe Biden's victory. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.